From McKinsey's Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice, I'm Sean Brown, and welcome to Inside the Strategy Room. As we look beyond the past year and its significant challenges, and toward a more positive post-COVID future, many business leaders are now focused on how to best position their companies for growth, this year and beyond. Today's podcast, which was recorded in late 2020, focuses on strategies that can help your company most fully participate in that more robust future. We will discuss steps needed to plan and execute the transition from surviving the crisis to reestablishing a foundation for growth. Now I'd like to introduce our guests. Martin Hurt is a senior partner in our Greater China office and the global co-leader of our strategy and corporate finance practice. He's one of McKinsey's most experienced client counselors on strategy, growth, and business transformation in emerging markets. Martin is also a co-author of the best-selling book, Strategy Beyond the Hockey Stick. Anna Koivunyemi is a partner in our Amsterdam office and the global co-leader of our growth practice. Her client work is focused on growth strategy as well as digital and analytics. Let's start with you, Martin. 2020 has undoubtedly been a challenging year, and more recently, we've witnessed significant changes that will affect the business environment, the U.S. election, the continued rise of stock markets, and the exciting vaccine announcements. How much closer are we to the end of this crisis, and what is the most important thing for business leaders to begin planning for? Thank you, Sean. With all of that, you could speculate that maybe we're not at the end of this pandemic, but at least there might be a line of sight towards the end, and certainly a cause for thinking about how to lead our enterprises towards the exit of this terrible crisis, aiming for the right exit velocity, which we have seen in previous crises is extremely important, not just for the next couple of years, but could be setting the vector of performance for businesses for the next 10 years. You and your colleagues have been tracking this crisis from the start. How have you seen the overall trajectory evolving? The world has been processing this crisis in a couple of dimensions. One, how to safeguard lives, which is how to get the virus under control. We have dramatically expanded testing and also treatment capacity and capabilities. And maybe there might actually now be a a first glimmer of a final cure or a vaccination that will help end this pandemic for good. The second equally important dimension is how to safeguard livelihoods because we have been all terribly impacted by the initial lockdowns. Many businesses are under extreme pressure. Uh, The public policy response to provide stimulus worked quite well in many countries, cushioning the initial shock. But now many countries are still struggling how to get people safely back to work and to scale the recovery from this crisis. These two dimensions defined the scenarios which we have used throughout to actually frame the economic impact of the crisis. The big question now is, where are we going to go from here? Is this recovery going to continue on the trajectory that we're seeing now, which is very steep? Or is there going to be an additional slowdown, at least temporarily, through the lockdowns that we now see coming in in Europe again, for example, or maybe some of the measures that the new administration in the US will devise? So there's still quite a bit of uncertainty But the uncertainty is somewhat more narrow than we had it before. 
Where is that remaining uncertainty primarily focused, Martin? And what are, what are the implications for growth? Is it around the effectiveness of pandemic containment in the coming months? Well, the virus has been sort of the main driver of the crisis all along. And much of the economic recovery over the summer had to do with, by and large, the fact that people felt less uncertain about the crisis and more comfortable about spending again, the mortality dropped quite substantially from the peaks that we saw in spring. Under most scenarios, the expectation is 21 will be a year of tremendous growth. When exactly that growth is going to start or sustain largely depends on what happens to the virus and how quickly we get it under control. But by any measure, 21 is a year that will likely have growth rates like the world has not seen it for a long time. 22 will then be relatively clearly the year of COVID exit where we are out of it, where we will return to more normal, maybe 2019 type growth rates. So how has the surge in the virus in many parts of the world affected those projections? In your article, you refer to a decline in excess mortality, which just to clarify for everyone listening, is the number of deaths above what would be expected under normal conditions. So what drives the scenario is our expectations about further drastic public health interventions like lockdowns. And mortality is certainly correlated with that. If mortality rises quickly, and especially excess mortality rises, the authorities will have little choice but going back to more stringent lockdowns. Unfortunately, now we see that actually rebounding, hopefully not to the levels that we have seen in the spring, but the trend right now is worrying. So we're now a little bit more cautious because this resurgence is actually quite, uh, quite steep. The good news, I think, is that the excess mortality in most geographies still is within historical trend lines or slightly above. We are not seeing anything near the excess mortality that we saw earlier in the year that had led to the very rigorous lockdowns and the initial implications for the economy that were quite dramatic. Got it. And as you mentioned earlier, we still have quite a lot of uncertainty. Do you feel it has started dropping off sufficiently for business leaders to start making more concrete future plans? What we've seen in previous economic crises is that the main unlock for the economy is uncertainty dropping. And we still see a fair amount of uncertainty now. So even uncertainty, uh, although the virus is still around, has dropped. I think there's more confidence um, in the population about our ability to control it to treat it. So that's actually a reason for optimism. And once the uncertainty goes away, the economic rebound will be in full swing. So there seems to be now more confidence that a certain scenario is going to play out. There's also a bit of a sense that through better treatments, through better protection of vulnerable parts of the population, and through possibly the vaccine, we know that the vaccine has been produced at scale that glass vials have been produced at scale to fill it. We know that the big logistics carriers have plans for how to distribute the vaccine, how to get the airplanes out of the desert and have them fly the vaccine around the world. That's a source of optimism. What that then means for trends and the trends that you as a business need to be considerate about, what has changed, what is changing through COVID, that is going to be one of the most important factors for you to consider as you go and make your plans and your strategies for the next couple of years. 
Speaking of trends, many of them have seen rapid acceleration and they've benefited some industries much more than others. How should business leaders factor that acceleration into their future strategies? We have seen the winner take all dynamics in many industries, especially in those industries that are ahead of the trends. So this fundamental of accelerating return dynamics where you have a few companies have the right platform and actually start accelerating their business models in ways that others can't compete with anymore, that is a global trend. But the reality, of course, is that even in the worst performing industries, there are some companies that create value versus in very high performing industries where there's lots of companies who actually destroy value. Uh, Take, for example, the semiconductor industry. In almost every sub-segment of the semiconductor industry, there's just one or two companies who create enormous value and a lot of companies destroy value. So what you do matters a lot, regardless of what industry you're in. So what do these outperformers in the various industries do differently? Anna, this is something that you've been studying and serving clients on for many years. How can companies position themselves today to ride these accelerated trends toward future growth? We looked at what industry-specific outperformers are doing well. So the companies who are growing faster than their peers in the specific market and are, are more profitable. To learn from them, we looked what they did in the last crisis. And what we found out that in this sample of 2,000 companies, we had 8% of the companies in, this, in each industry that were better growing faster than their peers throughout the crisis. They actually, in the crisis itself, in downturn, they delivered 3% growth, GAGAR, and in a recovery, 15%, which was, over the period, three times higher growth than their peers. So we also selected samples that were able to be more profitable at us, so that this, this growth was creating value. And we wanted to understand, is there something that we can learn from these through-cycle outperformers that could be applicable potentially for the clients we serve? we learned patterns, that those companies did very strongly um, and consistently across industries. One of them that they had really a through cycle growth or through cycle mindset. They actually pulled back in some areas like R&D and CapEx early. But what was the difference is that they actually ramped up faster. So in the recovery, we saw them investing earlier in R&D and CapEx than the other companies. One thing that helped them to do that, that they often, they have created optionality. So before the crisis, they already had 20% higher excess grass, which helped them, of course, to invest. But consistently, almost, those companies were looking broadly on different moves on their growth uh, opportunities. So they were not only looking at the core, but they were looking also geographical adjacencies. They were looking at adjacencies uh, beyond their own core business and also valuing disruptions. And often this happened inorganically. So what we noticed that they actually did 1.8 times larger deals, but they also did 10 to 20% more deals. So programmatic M&A also during the crisis. And lastly, what we observe interestingly, and we have evidence of is that they invest in capabilities broadly, but also in specific capabilities more than others. What is interesting why this crisis is so different that when in a financial crisis, across the two years, companies pulled back in CapEx on sales and marketing exp- ex- expenses, in this crisis, the companies did it in two quarters, and they did it much more drastically 
than, the, than in the last crisis. Of course, partially enabled by the fact that we cannot travel and some of the costs are not occurring. But if you look at the CapEx uh, decline, they really pull, pull down the CapEx very fast across the two quarters. Are there any particular directions of growth that seem to pay off the most for these through-cycle outperformers that you studied? What, what was quite interesting for us to find out, consistently, 90% plus almost 90% of the outperformers were really hitting on all the directions. Whereas in the other group of the companies, they were either not able to grow their core or they were not so actively looking at the adjacent market. Now, interestingly also, what we found out that in the last 15 years, what we were observing, the geographical expansion was really in terms of the share of the growth that was typically two to three times higher than the other directions. Now, we believe that the core is the game to also to play, in, especially in the short-term line. Uh, however, in our conversations, we actually find often the adjacencies, uh, something that companies are looking either on organically building a new business or not there. You mentioned inorganic growth earlier and that outperformers did more deals and bigger deals during the last crisis. Since then, Have you seen these companies focus more on digital deals with the goal to Martin's earlier point of getting tailwinds from some of the trends that we've seen recently accelerated, especially focused on digital? So we look at all the M&A and categorize them all digital or not. And what we learned was interesting here. Um, So in the last five years, the the outperformers did 85% more digital deals and actually they were 40% bigger. So we actually saw even a larger delta between outperformers and non-outperformers on digital deals. And if you look at the only on 2020, and I know it's a very short time and the digital activity, activity might not be in a normal level, but what we see is that this delta is only growing. So the current growth outperformers are actually even more active on digital M&A. Interesting. Were there any specific capabilities that these outperformers were looking to acquire through the deals that they pursued? It's a fantastic question. And so we have totally 200 plus capability areas we defined and, and the sub-segments below. And what we, try, what we also were, were tracking is that how this is changing on the time. Since 2008, personalization, multi-channel cloud automation, agile, artificial intelligence, those so-called buzzwords, we see the correlation between usage of those and outperformance, actually. But equally on learning collaboration from the innovation side, which is important, especially for the industries where innovation really mattered in outperformance. Now, we wanted to know what are the trends that are present there and what companies are telling that they're investing are. is still the personalization, but e-commerce and digital sales are really not surprisingly, but in the many people's agenda on making sure that they adapt to the digital new normal. Uh, but also there are new topics that are blooming because of the circumstances we are. Sourcing, inventory management, convenience, which were basically the capabilities we see now entering as an importance to, to the companies in general. In all of these capability areas, these functional areas, more than 50% of the outperformers were investing on those. And the delta between outperformers and non-outperformers across industries was more than 20%. So in digital, sales and marketing, and innovation and R&D, there was a clearly difference of investment level of 
out of outperforming companies and non-outperforming companies. So it seems that even though the outperformers could not have predicted this exact pandemic, they had seen the writing on the wall in terms of many of the trends most likely to take off. And the crisis just radically accelerated many of them. So Martin, let's come back to the COVID exit strategy. How do you advise companies to approach their planning for the next two years and beyond? There's a lot of capabilities that need to be built in order to accelerate growth, because we know that one of the big differentiators between resilient companies emerging from a crisis and non-resilient companies is the level of organic growth that they're uh, able to, to produce. And with all the digital disruptions and business model disruptions that are ongoing right now, it's quite important that these new capabilities be built in a very deliberate way. What does that mean actually for our 21 plans? What do we put in these plans? Uh, and there are differences between industries. Some industries have grown throughout and they're fine, but most everybody else is in between and uh, it's quite unclear what's going to happen. I think uh, given recent news and the fact that this pandemic is better understood than it was in spring, uh, there is probably a case to be made for you to, if you don't have it already, add a pretty positive scenario for 2021 to your planning. Uh, it might be only one of four scenarios that you're looking at, but at least make sure you have one of them be a positive one. The absolute growth rates in 21 are likely going to be very high. And in some of the more positive public health scenarios, you could imagine that uh, we're going to break through to 2019 performance already earlier in the year rather than later. The second recommendation we'd have is don't overthink 21. 21 is going to be difficult. Try to figure out what's your exit vector in 2022 when you anchor 2022 maybe more in 2019 than in 2020 or 2021. And with that exit vector, what are the things you actually need to do? And that then guides a bit how you think about 21, because 21 then becomes a bit of a transition year from where you're at right now towards that exit point and trying to figure out what transformation initiatives you need to take now, for example, in the direction that Anna discussed or with respect to repositioning your portfolio for that exit and make sure you hit the exit in stride. So get going with those initiatives now. Every minute matters. We know that what companies do towards the exit of a crisis sets the direction for many years to come. So this is a very important period for all who are leading successful organizations. Thanks, Martin. As we start thinking about planning for a full recovery from this pandemic, what do you expect to happen to some of the industries that have been especially hard hit by the crisis? For example, how quickly do you think the travel industry will recover? Very good question. Uh, So let me start with a very positive scenario. Can you just imagine that this crisis is over, that people are vaccinated, we don't have to worry about a virus anymore? People have such a desire to go out and have a normal life again, interact with each other, travel again, all of those things. So first of all, I think there's going to be a tremendous joy around the world and people will enjoy life again. Secondly, out of my personal experience, reactivating travel is going to take a bit of time. Uh, I'm now currently the third time this year in quarantine. And uh, I can tell you that uh, many countries who have managed to get the virus either to zero or near zero are very, very, very careful about letting the virus back into the country. 
So there will be pretty strong burdens. Airlines will take time to ramp up again, hire all the pilots back and the air crew that have been laid off and uh, get the planes out of the desert. So there is going to be some inertia in the system, but I have no doubt that the demand for these industries, for the services they provide, will be very strong as soon as this thing subsides. There might, as I said, be some logistical issues, but overall, in terms of demand, I think that will be strong. When you push me on business travel, that's going to be a tougher question to answer because business travel will actually very likely have a sustained impact of the fact that we all discovered that we can have very effective and productive and highly efficient meetings via Zoom. But we'll see how it does. Uh, I'm just coming now from a few months uh, of in-person business meetings in Taiwan where there is no virus, and I can tell you it feels different than uh, sitting on Zoom again. So uh, we'll, we'll see how it plays out, but uh, I'm actually quite optimistic. I'm curious to innovate in the, what the disruption, additional disruptions and innovations will be in travel, because you could argue that in the last three weeks, we have three, we have last few years, we've been already going uh, going through a lot. So I'm very closely following what is the next level of innovation on on the travel area, and I'm equally to Martin. I am staying positive that at least in, in recreational travel will be coming back, um, business travel, uh, not necessarily in the way it used to be. That's good to hear. And for all the challenges we faced, many companies and individuals accomplished incredible things over the past year. How do business leaders keep that focus and sense of energy and ambition in their organizations when the crisis atmosphere starts to dissipate and the crisis ends? Let me give you an example of how one of my client CEOs turned that into a highly motivating effort in their R&D organization. Uh, they actually went in now that things calmed down a little bit and uh, pulled the R&T team together and stood in front of them, uh, literally everybody in a town hall and said, look, guys, this is, uh, this is unbelievable. What you accomplished in this period of a few months, we could not have done in years. He picked a product that they did literally in two weeks, almost from scratch, a full product with a few weeks of testing, it was ready for the market and they brought it out. It was a healthcare product and it was needed. So there was a clear case for being fast, but they did that unbureaucratically. The best people on the team, the team had a, a sort of a really peak performance experience, uh, hugely motivating. The whole company was proud. They said, we will not go back to who we were. We will be different because we have now seen how we can work together, how we can do amazing things in a really short period of time. So let's take that as the role model for how we want to work together in the future. And he challenged the R&D organization to come back to him to tell him how they wanted to reorganize to create that sort of a motivating work environment. And agile is a good word because it was small teams achieving amazing results in a very short period of time. So there is a lot of things you can do to actually turn this crisis into a very forward-looking, motivating event where people can finally do the things they think, uh, the way they think uh, they should be done and work together in very different ways. So I, I think there's lots of opportunities, and this was just one random example, but I'm sure there's lots of opportunities like that to, to actually turn the crisis into something very positive. Well, that sounds like a great way to end our podcast. Um... Well, that sounds like a great note to end our podcast on. Anna, Martin, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us today. 
and thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. If you'd like to learn more, please check out Martin's article on leading toward a COVID exit and Anna's article on through cycle outperformers titled Rev Up Your Growth Engine. You'll find both of the articles on McKinsey.com. And for a transcript of this conversation, we encourage you to visit our Inside the Strategy Room page on McKinsey.com, where you may also easily explore, filter, and search our library of previous episodes. If you'd like to share feedback or an idea for a future podcast episode, please email us at insidethestrategyroom at McKinsey.com. If you'd like to receive alerts on our latest insights, you can subscribe on the bottom of our podcast collection page, follow us on Twitter at MCK Strategy, or connect with us on LinkedIn on the McKinsey Strategy and Corporate Finance page. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to having you join us again soon inside the Strategy Room.